We continue in our series, Freedom in Christ, and this is part four. Now, before you say, wait a minute, when did we start this Freedom of Christ series, and how are we on part four? Well, as we go through Galatians, what we see are kind of mini-series within the whole uh, narrative here. And so, back in April, we did a three-part series of Freedom in Christ. And as I was studying this passage, I was like, man, this goes well with that that we talked about in April. So if you missed out on that, we have that on the web. And I know in the spare time, you just want to keep hearing my voice. All right. So uh, you can go and you can uh, go listen to that series, but I, I just wanted to attach it to that. So this is part four. And, and we're going to look at, at three kind of major points today uh, as we go through this passage. The first one is this, freedom begins in Christ. Freedom begins in Christ. Look with me again in verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we ask this question, why has Christ set us free? Why would he care about us? Why would he come to us? Why would he live for us? Why would he die for us? Why would he rise for us? Why would he wait on the Father's command? And obviously, whoever that guy was yesterday to say the end of the world was going to happen was wrong, all right? Because Christ is waiting on the command from his Father. And why is Christ going to return for us? For freedom. Freedom. He has set us free to glorify God forever. And so... You, Christian, have freedom. That's why he set you free. Those who don't understand Jesus and don't get what he came to accomplish and indeed did accomplish, they don't get his work. They don't understand it. In fact, they get his work confused with the work of the enemy. And I think many times we get the work of Jesus confused with the work of the enemy. And I'm, I'm, when I'm saying enemy, I'm talking about Satan. Okay, I think we get the, the works confused. So let me explain it to you. Satan blinds, he confines, and he destroys. That's the work of the enemy. And many times as followers of Christ, that's kind of how we uh, live our days as if we're under that type of dominion. But that's, that's for the, the lost person without Jesus. They're blinded, they're confined to their sin, and they are being destroyed. But Jesus gives sight to the blind. He opens our eyes to see the glorious God that we serve today. He sets us free from our confinement to sin so that we no longer have to be dominated by our lust and the flesh not only that, but he gives us eternal life. This is the work of Jesus. It's a complete reversal of what we were born into and all that we know. And so with this, we have freedom. But listen, we look no further in scripture than to the religious leaders of the day, and they didn't get Jesus. So before we start thinking, okay, those who don't get Jesus are those who didn't come to church today. Okay, they're out cutting their grass, they're out painting a fence. I guess that's what you do if you're not here on, on Sunday morning, but they're not here, so they need to hear this. No, we need to hear this because it's the religious leaders of the day who didn't get Jesus. They didn't understand what he came to do. And although you may be a follower of Jesus Christ, and praise be to God for that, let us remember that when Paul is writing this letter, He's not writing it to a bunch of lost people who have never heard the gospel. 
He's following up with them. He's saying, you, you got the gospel. You gave glory to God. You looked to Jesus Christ. Now I'm writing to you again and saying, hey, don't forget this. For freedom, he set you free. And so it's the same for us today. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And may we get and understand what Jesus came to do as we look in this passage. The gospel does not restrict us from life. In fact, it releases us to live life to the fullest. Everyone in the room say, the fullest. The fullest. Are you living life to the fullest? Are you enjoying each and every day, living it with a purpose, a clearly set out, defined purpose for the glory of God? And are you living your life with such purpose that you're going, man, my life is full. Yeah, my life is full with a lot of things going on, but I have this joy. I have this satisfaction. I have this delight in what Jesus is doing in my life. That's what he came to do. He came to set you free to live, man. And many people get it confused. They say, I don't want Jesus. I don't want quote unquote religion because if I do, I will no longer get to enjoy life. And you couldn't have it more wrong if that's your thought process today. No, when you are found in Christ Jesus, you get to live life to the fullest, life like you've never known it before. And this is what Paul is getting across to the Galatians. He's saying the fullness of life is not found in your own work, but in the work of Christ. Man, how we want to get or receive the accolades for the things that we've done. Man, how we'd like to work and achieve and say, this is what I have accomplished. This is why I no longer have these struggles in my life. This is what I did. I, I, and I. And you know what the gospel does? It puts I to death so that we can live in Christ. And so we might as well just say, put your sword into its sheath. So when you're struggling with the flesh this week, because you're gonna struggle with the flesh this week, okay, sorry if you caught off guard by that, but you are, you're gonna have the flesh present itself, gonna be knocking at your door and you are gonna be challenged with many things this week to live in sin. But in being a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been set apart from that. You have the freedom to not obey that sin any longer. And when that happens and you're challenged to do something in your own strength and not in the strength of the Lord, you can say, hey, Brian, I need to put my sword back in its sheath. What am I talking about? John 18, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And Jesus has told his disciples, he says, I'm going to the cross, which means I'm going to die. They still don't get it. They're following him. And all of a sudden here come the soldiers and they're there at the garden. And while they're there, Peter pulls out his sword and he is ready to die for Jesus. He is ready to do battle. And here's a picture that we see when Peter pulls out that sword. It's man acting in his flesh. He doesn't get God's plan of why Jesus is on this earth. And in John 18, 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? And so Peter is saying, I will give my life to save you, Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying back to Peter, no, I am giving up my life to save you, Peter. Isn't that good? We, we want to we wanna help Jesus out. We want to help Jesus out with our good works and thinking that we're enhancing what Christ came to do. But no, Jesus is saying, I came to save 
you. I don't need you saving me in any way. So we find ourselves fighting to defend Jesus with our own strength. And when we do, we find ourselves fighting against the will of God. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we don't go out in strength, that we don't do good things? No, we do all of these things, but we clearly recognize it every day. Everything that we do is in the strength of the Lord. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Jesus Christ in this room has been gifted with the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, you you do no good thing for God. No good thing. Because without the Holy Spirit, you're working in the flesh. And we're going to see that in the following verses in the following weeks. So with this, when we find ourselves fighting in our own strength, we find ourselves fighting against the will of God. But when we submit ourselves to Christ every day, there we are walking in the will of God. That's what I want. Is that that what you want? Is that why you're here today? Because you're saying, I want to walk in the will of God. I want to walk in this freedom. So as a child would ask his father, can I have some of your drink? Well, it depends on what's in the cup. (laughs) I mean, If I got a cup full of Coca-Cola, I'm probably not going to give it to you, son, uh, because I know the look your mama's going to give me when I do it, right? It all depends on what's in the cup, whether you can have some of what's in there. And Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about when he says this cup, it's, it's the cup of wrath. And what Peter wants to do is he wants to take that cup and he wants to help Jesus drink it. He wants to take some of that wrath. He has no clue what he's stepping into. Although noble, although thankful that Peter would want to protect Jesus, he doesn't see clearly in the moment that Jesus is there to save him. And Jesus is the only one who can drink from the cup. No, Jesus can't share the cup. This cup of wrath, he can't share it with anyone else. He must drink the cup. We can't drink what's in the cup, but Jesus did. And he drank every last drop. He didn't leave anything left for us to kick back. Nothing. I mean, it's empty. Jesus, you didn't leave us anything, not even a drop, not even a drop. Because that drop would kill you for all of eternity. You can't handle even a drop of what Jesus came to pay for. So that's why Christ sets us free. That's why we do everything in the name of Jesus. And listen to this. There is no unfinished business in the work of Christ. There's nothing left for Jesus to do. So if you're struggling today, am I a follower of Jesus? Because I don't feel like it. You know why this is good news to you? Because your salvation is driving so much deeper than your feelings. It's based on a promise. It's based on the good work that Jesus has done. So even the days when you don't feel quote unquote Christian, but yet you still look to Jesus and you're trusting what he did for you, you are indeed a Christian. It's all in what Christ did. He left nothing for us to do, nothing for us to clean up. He did a perfect job when he came to this world, died on the cross and rose from the grave. And so with that, he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, meaning stand and resist, a military term, stand, be bold and resist. That's something that a sinner can't do. You know that a sinner cannot stand and resist sin? Can't. If you're in this room today and you are a sinner, meaning that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, which we so hope you would have, 
but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? You're, you're an easy victim. You get beat up every day by sin. You're dominated by sin. You're not living your own life. You're not living in freedom. You're under the master of sin. But those who are free in Christ can stand and resist. And, and, and look, if you even talk to, let's just talk about the, the, the common things. If you talk to somebody who has struggles with alcohol or struggles uh, with, with drugs or struggles with sexual addiction, you even talk to lost people who don't have Jesus, guess what? They don't enjoy it. What does that tell us? That a sinner doesn't enjoy his sin, but he doesn't look to Jesus. They don't enjoy it. They're being dominated. They, they are prisoner to their sinful appetites. They don't enjoy these things. So church, let us not long for the days in which we came from thinking that we had life then. No, we were prisoners then. We have now been given life and we've been given life to stand and resist those things that used to dominate us. Which means that Paul is telling the Galatians, don't cower down to those who have put on the yoke of slavery. They have submitted themselves to the power and mastery of Satan, meaning self-righteous works. That's what he's addressing here. They're preaching to you that you need to finish something that Jesus didn't complete. That now you need to add circumcision on to what happened at the cross. Because what, all, what Jesus did all at the cross is not enough. You now need circumcision as well. That would be the complete total package. And what he's telling them is Satan has no hold on you, which means sin has no dominion over you. Why would you willingly go back to slavery when you've been filled with the power to stand against it? Now, that may be a question that we ask ourselves often because we all have sin struggles in this room. And you may be asking yourself, why do I still struggle with this certain sin? Why do I keep going back to it when I have the power? Because that's what your flesh wants. Your flesh, which exists within you, wants that sin. That's why you still struggle with it. And you're not living by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're gonna naturally crave that sin. That's the answer to your question. Why do I still go back to it? when I've been given the power to stand and resist. And so this is just a reminder that the yoke of slavery can be in the form of heathenism or moralism. And if you don't get what either one of those words are, let me just explain it. It can be uh, living a life of wild living and sin or in a life of upholding laws and rules and regulations. Both of those are, in a sense, turning back. It is a yoke of slavery. It's, it's self-righteous works, which are just as bad as uh, works that defame character. Embracing sin is the same as on your own merit trying to stay away from sin. It's the same in the eyes of God. It's not the same to us because it seems noble that we're trying to do this in our own strength, but we're doing it with, without God. We're doing it not for the glory of God in the same way that we're doing these sins over here, not for the glory of God. So this is how they used to live as heathens. Now they have this moralism. Can I throw uh, another term in there that I learned recently? Suburbanism. How about that one? Just chew on that for a minute. Suburbanism, this is what it means. You have your house, you have your neighborhood, you have your car, you have your routine, you have everything set. You have your social media, you have your coffee shop, you, you, you have everything set in your, your routine. And here's what we say, just don't mess up my routine. Gotta stay in my routine. As long as I stay in my routine, I'm good. But what if something comes and crushes that routine? 
What if something inconveniences you? It leaves you spinning. It leaves you in a wreck. You get frustrated and you look to God and say, what is happening here to my good, well-organized life? Listen, there are many ways in which we can act against God that look really good to everyone else. But before him, he despises it. And this is what he's telling them. It may seem good that you're going to circumcision. And you may have some religious leaders who are telling you this is a good thing, but God's not pleased with this. This is a yoke of slavery. You have put a yoke of slavery on yourself and you're going to be weighed down. So, although different in practice, they are identical in outcome. It's attaching ourselves to a yoke of slavery. So here's a question I have for you this morning. Are you walking around with a yoke of slavery around your neck? Do you have a yoke of slavery around your neck this morning? Have you come in just barely able to walk into this room because something is just weighing you down? It may be, according to this context, that you just don't feel worthy. You don't feel like God could love you. You are wrestling with that. You've wrestled with that every day, it seems like, in, in, the, in the last few months. How could God love me for the things I've done? Why me? I don't get that. Why grace towards my life? I don't understand it. And maybe that's how you walked in this morning. You're thinking, I got to work harder. I got to do more. I've got I've to equal this, this love God has for me. I mean, my works have to match that. Your works will never match the love God has for you. Will never match it. Maybe you're walking in here and you're dominated by the flesh. You have some bad habits in your life right now. And maybe other people in this room know about it, or maybe you've kept it hidden from everybody, but you know that God knows. And you've walked in this room and you are heavy today. And you're saddened. You're not at peace because you're, you're thinking about the sin that is weighing you down. And here's the choice you have. Either you're going to go try to do something about it or you're going to submit it to Christ. And here's the wrestling match with that. You know that if you submit it to Christ, it will be gone. But if you try in your own efforts, you think that maybe you have a chance. But deep down in your heart, maybe you don't want to get rid of that sin. And that's why you're not wanting to give it to Christ. You give it to Jesus, you're done with it. You're done with it for that day. You're done with it for that moment. But you hold on to it and you're done for. And that's why Paul's writing to them. He's saying, you go to circumcision, man. You're, you're cutting yourself off. So here's the thing. Freedom begins in Christ. Freedom continues in Christ. It doesn't just begin at salvation. Your freedom continues in Christ. While you live on this earth, you continue every day to walk in freedom. Do you feel like a free man? Do you feel like a free woman? Are you walking around saying, I don't see any change in my life? I'm struggling. I have this, this complicated life going on, family struggles, relationship struggles, health struggles. I, I'm just struggling here and I, I don't feel sanctified. I don't feel free. But indeed, if you're looking to Jesus Christ, you are continually free in him. Verse two, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Meaning this, grace means that Christ is your advantage. If you live by grace 
and you are loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you are loving others as you love yourself. If you're doing that, listen, Christ is your advantage. But if you're living by works, Christ is of no advantage to you. It doesn't matter if you attend a local church. doesn't matter if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if you have been baptized. doesn't matter if you read your Bible. If you're going about it in a works-based living, law-based living without grace, not being driven by love, but what you're being driven is by duty, you're going to fall. And Christ is of no advantage to you in that. And that's the picture that he's painting. Let me remind you, when Paul is writing to the church, He is hoping and praying that every one of them that he's writing to is a follower of Jesus. But as he's seeing it in real time, he's saying that, hey, if you get away from this, you're cutting yourself off from Jesus. You may not be a follower of Christ. You may have never truly understood the gospel is what he's saying. And so this is why he's writing to them with such urgency. He's saying the Jews had already convinced the Galatians that they needed to observe the feast in the calendar. And now they are taking the next step with circumcision. In this context, accepting circumcision would be to deny Christ. Christ doesn't need our help when it comes to atonement. Christ doesn't need our help when it comes to us denying sin. No, Christ has accomplished all of that so that we can do these things. The circumcision would bring them no value. It would not help them. Even this religious act would not help. It's it's like this, LeBron James. I I guess he's one of the best basketball players. He he or Steph Curry, I don't know. Let them battle it out in those championship games, right? But if LeBron James, if I walked up to him and said, hey, I think you need some help. Here, you want to win another title? Um, I'll come play with you. He's probably going to laugh. <laughs> All right. I said, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, let me see your best, LeBron. Let me see you take three steps down the full court and dunk the basketball, okay? Now, okay, that's good. That's real nice, LeBron. I like how you did that 360 and then threw it down. I think it's a little showy, but it's cool, whatever. All right. And then I get the basketball and I start dribbling between my legs. You know why? Because I can. All right. And I dribble between my legs. And then all of a sudden I take off and, and I go up to the rim. And I mean, I'm going full speed, which in my mind seems really fast. Okay. To everybody else, it's not so fast, but in my mind, it's really fast. And all of a sudden I get up to the goal and man, I leap off my foot and I'm like, lay up, boom, right off the backboard into the basket. And I look at LeBron, I say, see, you need me, man. I got skills. I can do just the same thing that you can do. What's LeBron going to do? He's going to laugh me out the gym. Hey, man, I feel bad for you, dude. I'll get you some tickets. You can come watch, all right? That's just a silly illustration to say that I don't even compare to LeBron James when it comes to basketball. I mean, maybe an arcade basketball because I got pretty good wrist action on that. But when it comes to the real thing, the real thing, I don't even compare. But when it comes to Christ, just take this silly illustration today and just compare yourself to Christ. What, what can you do to help Jesus? What can you do to enhance Christ? that we would ever say, Jesus, I can do what you did. Jesus, I'm good. So I'm going to go the circumcision route, okay? And I'm going to be just like you, Jesus. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. I went to the cross. My whole body was put to death. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying circumcision 
means you gotta keep the whole law. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Do you know what that means? The whole law. The law demands perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. So we have no authority to pick and choose which parts of the law we would like to uphold. We'd say, oh, that, I can obey my parents. That's good. But don't ask me uh, not to covet what my neighbor has. Don't go there. But this over here, I'll do that, man. I'll live by that law. And man, I will be more sanctified living by that law. And that's what we do. We pick and choose the commands that we like that we're most favorable to accept that complement our lives. The things we never seem to struggle with as much as others. He's saying, you don't get it. You don't pick and choose what you want from the law. You're bound by the whole law. That's why Christ came to fulfill it all. And he did. Jesus is the only one to do it. None of us could do it. So when you are sharing Jesus with the lost world, and I hope you do, I hope this week you tell people about Jesus because that's the only way they're going to know. So when you're, when you're sharing Jesus with the lost world and someone says, yes, I believe I am a good person, you can ask this question based on what standard of righteousness? Based on what? Why are you good? And either they're going to run to Jesus or they're going to run to law. They run to law, they're dead. They're condemned. They're finished. They run to Jesus, they're set free. They have life. John 6, 52 through 63. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to read with me. I put it up here. I hope you can read that. This is Jesus telling people, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now they hear that and they go, that sounds weird. Sounds really weird. We, we've never done that before. What do you, how is this even going to happen? That's how they're looking at this. But what we see is Christ dying for us. And that's receiving fully what Christ did for us. And that brings us to a table like this today where we can take bread and dip into a cup and remember the body and blood of Jesus. John 6, 52 through 63, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Talking about those in the wilderness. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue and he taught at Capernaum. Now, I'm going to tell you, they didn't teach these things in the synagogue. They never taught this in the synagogue. This is a new teaching and they don't understand it. In verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, Paul's, not, not even who can live by this, but who can even listen to this? Who can, how can this even come into our ears? What, what, what are we hearing? Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
Verse 63 sums it up. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So what he's getting to is, I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to give my life for the freedom of man. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring life within that person. So they can live in this freedom. And every day they can eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Meaning they can have fellowship with me. Their testimony is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When they share their story with others, it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. That's what he's saying. When you come to the table today, Christians, and you come to receive, you come to dip into the cup, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's done all of this for me to set me free. That's what this meal is a reminder of. You have been freed from sin. You've been free to live life to the fullest, to go in victory, to go in confidence and be loved by God. Every time you come to this table, it reminds you that it wasn't your work, it was Christ's work. Isn't that good? Does that bring joy to your heart today? I hope it does. It brings great joy to my heart. He says this, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. Paul's saying you, Galatians, you who are living by the law, you are the ones with the knife in your hand, not Christ. Christ isn't severing himself from you. Christ isn't cutting himself away from you. You're cutting yourself away from Christ. Now, this is an illustration that Paul is using, a rather graphic one, if you get what I'm saying in this text. This is what it means. Those who say, I hope I've done enough for Jesus to accept me. He's saying, no, those people who say, I hope I've done enough for Jesus to accept me, you're severing yourself from Jesus. You're getting further and further away from Jesus. It's my hope is in Jesus because he did it all. It's everybody in the room. If you want to be a follower of Jesus today, it's not because of what you've done, but he did it all. Do you believe that Jesus did it all on the cross and that he died for you? He shed his blood for you and you want that. Is that where your heart is today? Is that what you want? Then call upon Jesus, even right now, as I continue to preach. Say, Jesus, I believe in that. I believe you died for me. I want you, Jesus. Look to Christ. Please look to Christ. He is the only way. And then he says, you all, or not you all, that would be here in the South, okay? No. He says, you have fallen away from grace. You've distanced yourself from grace. You distanced yourself from grace, man. You're dead meat. It's grace. Don't distance yourself from grace today. Receive this grace. Rejoice in the grace of God that leaves us only boasting in his greatness. For through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through us. You get that? We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, the righteousness to come, Christ Jesus, being fully glorified, new bodies, living on a new earth, full redemption. That's to come. That's our future. So shouldn't we be the people who live as we have great freedom on this earth? Your merits do not count towards your salvation. And your lack of merits do not take away from your salvation because your salvation is secured in the infinite merits of Christ. Will you read that up on the screen? Will you just give that a look for a minute? 
I think we struggle with this all the time, don't we? I'm going to read it again. Your merits do not count towards your salvation. Oh, one up today. Boy, I'm super saved today. Your lack of merits do not take away from your salvation. I'm hanging on by a thread today. Because your salvation is secured in the infinite merits of Christ. That is good news. That is the best news in the world. That news needs to travel throughout the world, don't you think? I think that would be a good idea. Oh, Jesus already told us to do it. Yeah, he said go into all the world, in fact. Take this good news to the lost. May we penetrate the lostness with this good news. But listen, this can either be freeing or terrifying for you today when you read that. It can either be freeing or terrifying. Freeing to go in Christ or terrifying going, but no, I can contribute. No, not when it comes to your salvation. Tim Keller says this, neither moral exertion nor moral failure counts, period, period. I'll say it another way. At salvation, Christ did not ask for your resume. All he needed was your death certificate. He didn't ask for your resume. Hey, let me look it over, see what you can do for me. No, I just need to know you're dead. Yeah, you're dead. Indeed, you're dead. I'll save you. That's it. You brought nothing. You had no accolades. You were dead in your sin. And Christ made you alive. How silly would it be that, I don't know, say you're at a grocery store and all of a sudden you pass out and man, you stop breathing and, and heart stops beating. And somebody comes and, and they say, we need to do CPR, clear, because that's what you say when you perform CPR in the grocery store, right? And so you go to do CPR and all of a sudden, boom, you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, what happened? They said, you were dead. Oh, well, boom, I need to do some CPR. I need to wake myself up. And you start giving yourself some, what do you call them, palpitations? Is that what you do? Okay. And all of a sudden you're like, I, I need, no, 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 dude. You're crazy. You look silly. What are you doing? We already did that. You were dead. No, you're alive. No, no, you don't get it. I, I got to do something. I mean, can't do all the work, man. Let me do some of the work. It's foolish. That's the picture right here. These Galatians trying to give themselves CPR. And you're alive. You were dead. You, you didn't even know who God was. You didn't even know who Jesus was. You weren't even close. And he woke you up. And he made you his very own. And you trusted in him. Quit with the foolishness. Continue in your freedom in Christ. And so not only does freedom begin in Christ and Christ and, and, and freedom continue in Christ, but the last thing is this. Freedom remains in Christ. Remains in Christ. Verse seven, he says, you were running well. That's encouraging. When he left them, they were running. They were running the race. They were living by grace. Here's what we need to know today. It is all too easy to run right out of these doors and fall flat on your face. But here's what you can remind yourself. Freedom remains in Christ. 
You go, man, I was feeling so good when we were hearing that message. I was hearing about grace and I thought, I've got it. I'm going to conquer. And then you run and you run and boom, you get tripped up and you fall. What happened? Man, I'm, I'm a fake. I'm a phony. I'm a coward. I'm a hypocrite. You start calling yourself all these things. You're like, I don't get it. How does everybody else get it? How do they all understand it? And I don't understand it. Look, remind yourself, you remain in Christ. Get back up. You don't have to come up here and rededicate your life to Jesus. What is that? You don't need a do-over. What Christ did on the cross worked the first time. Rededication was kind of a hybrid. I don't know if Southern Baptists adapted it or adopted it or what, but it's like, okay, we know we're once saved, always saved. And you got these people over here who say, no, you're not once saved, always saved. But we kind of got this deal where we're not fully living for Jesus. And when we mess up, we just need to, what can we call it? We need to call it something, rededicate. That's what we'll do. We'll just rededicate what we had in the beginning. Now, maybe you think I'm crazy for saying this, but I'm just going to tell you, I don't see rededication in the Bible. You know what I see? Get up and keep running. Get up and keep running. Because our freedom remains in Christ. That didn't stop. That didn't stop. You stopped, he didn't stop. Get back up, keep following him. That's good, man. That's, that's freeing. I'm telling you, that's freeing. So he asked this question, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you, from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what is he asking by this question? He's saying, you need to diagnose your life. You need to diagnose your life. You need to diagnose your home. You need to diagnose your work. You need to diagnose your activities. You need to diagnose your local church. Who has gotten in and puffed you up with this false teaching? Where is the self-saving righteousness coming from? Where is this happening? You may explain one way it can happen. Uh, Paul Tripp was talking about it earlier, about not leading our kids to live by law, but live by grace. And we can say things like this, son, don't you embarrass our family name today. You get that? Don't you, don't, don't, when we go out in public today, don't you embarrass me. You embarrass me, you are going to get disciplined. Do you hear me? Are we clear? And then our kids are going to do something. And you know what? We're going to go to them and say, you embarrass me. I can't believe you did that. Mamas, you take your kids to Target, and man, they make a wreck, you know? That's my favorite store. They ain't gonna let me return. Come on. I mean, you scold them. Why? Because they inconvenienced you with their sin. And instead of pointing their eyes to Jesus, you point their eyes to you. And you say, you disappointed me. You failed me. You make me sick. I there's some mean things that parents say to kids. And whether we say it, we feel it. We look at our kids and go, how could you, how could you act this way? I didn't act that way. Hmm. Let's have an interview with your parents and find out. <laughs> and we do this at work. We do this here. Man, where are all the people in my community group? They're making me look bad. They're not here. Hmm. Wow. Self-saving righteousness a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. See, we do this in many ways. And Paul's saying, who, who stirred you up? Who led you to do these things? But notice the confidence of Paul. He doesn't say, oh no, the church is dying. We're done for. Help us. No. 
He says, have confidence. I have confidence in the Lord. Here's the question. Do you have confidence in the Lord? Today, do you have confidence in the Lord? Because, you know, if you put your confidence in others, you're going to be severely disappointed. And listen, I don't mean like, hey, confidence, hey, 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 son, I'm going to put confidence in you that you're going to go get your chores done and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. I'm talking about to uphold your life. We call them functional saviors. Functional saviors. And this is the definition of functional saviors, or one of them, Jerry Bridges gives. He says, sometimes we look to other things to satisfy and fulfill us, to save us. These functional saviors can be any object of dependence we embrace that isn't God. They become the source of our identity, security, and significance because we hold an idolatrous affection for them in our hearts. They preoccupy our minds and consume our time and resources. They make us feel good and somehow even make us feel righteous. Whether we realize it or not, they control us and we worship them. Say, well, what are my functional saviors? Well, maybe you can ask these questions. What am I most afraid of? What do I I long for passionately? Where do I run for comfort? What do I complain most about? What angers me most? What makes me happiest? How do I explain myself to other people? What has caused me to be angry with God? What do I brag about? What do I want to have more than anything else? What do I sacrifice the most for my life? If I could change one thing in my life, what would that be? Whose approval am I seeking? What do I want to control or master? What comfort do I treasure the most? These are just a few questions. Who is your functional savior? Your functional savior is someone, something that will function other than Christ in your life for fulfillment, for joy, for peace, satisfaction, feeling righteous. The functional savior here was circumcision. As they were looking away from Christ, if they embraced circumcision, they would feel more holy. And that's when Paul says circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Do you know what that means for us today? If you're here and you think that Jews are more important than the church, you need to hear this circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. That may be mind-blowing to you. I don't know where in the church that we highlight Jews over the church, but there's only one bride of Jesus Christ, and it's the church in which he died for, Jews and Gentiles alike. Some of you are going, hmm, see, that, 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 that makes me think. Think on it. Look to the word on it. This is what he's addressing here. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. What are the functional saviors that you have in your life? Verse 11, freedom in Christ has, was never meant or has never meant freedom from persecution. Understand this, that in your freedom, you will be persecuted. You will have people attack this freedom that you walk in. Paul knows this all too well. And he says, hey, if I've gotten away from Christ, why am I still being persecuted? Verse 12, I wish for this false teaching to stop to not be reproduced. That's what he means when he says this, which is very graphic, by the way. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's saying, I don't wanna see other generations like this. Let's not see other generations of people within the church who are saying it's Jesus plus law. Let's see people live by grace. One of the places that this has happened is in Boston, which close to 400 years ago, you had followers of Christ come to this land and spread the gospel and it spread throughout this nation. 
And today you go to this place and, and we're sending church planters to Boston. Because most people, when you ask them, do you know Jesus, will give you this response. I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic. Instead of proclaiming Christ, they would rather proclaim that they're Catholic. You know what that is? A circumcision. That's just something other than Christ. It's other than Christ. Oh, what's religious? Come on, Brian. Come on, they have religion. That's, that's the problem. It's the religion without the relationship. We went and um, had some pastries when we were in Boston this past week. They were very good, by the way. And as we were checking out, uh, one of the pastors that I was with, and I'll just tell you, we went up to Boston, met with some church planters. They're doing a great work in the name of Jesus, by the way. We'll talk more about that later, but pastries. We were, we were at the pastry store, and as we're leaving, I'm leaving with my Boston cream pie. And I'm like, do I need a fork? And they're like, no, just break it off and dip into it. And so I'm like, ah, oh, that's so good, right? You know what I mean? So I'm waiting to get into my cream pie. And as we check out, um, one of the pastors looks to the cashier, and the cashier has a Jesus tattoo on his arm. I mean, that's a good conversation starter to talk about Jesus, don't you think? And so he says, hey, I, I notice, is that, is, that, is that Jesus on your arm? He says, yes, it's Jesus. He says, oh, do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's a good question. I mean, if you're gonna tattoo him on your arm, maybe you would have a relationship with him, right? And his response was this, I'm Catholic. Which means, let's stop the conversation. Let's just stop the conversation. This pastor didn't get it. <laughs> he didn't get that code word, I'm Catholic, stop the conversation. So he says, no, I mean like a personal relationship. Like, do you know Jesus? And I saw the look on this man's face and it was just pure and utter loss. It's like, he's just saying, what, dude, what are you doing? Like, just take your pastry and leave. I'm Catholic. Even having Jesus tattooed on your arm doesn't make you more holy. because it did nothing to penetrate his heart. Circumcision does nothing to penetrate your heart. Your righteous works do nothing to penetrate the heart. And so his functional savior could have been that picture of Jesus as a tattoo. Maybe his grandma had a great influence on him. He thought, you know, grandma went to church. I need a, what do I need? A tattoo of Jesus on my arm. That, that's what I need. It sounds silly, but you know what? We have all kinds of silly things that we look to other than Christ to bring us fulfillment. What are those things? And no better time than to think on those now and confess those before the Lord before we come to receive communion this morning. The communion table is for Christians. So I would warn you, if you're not a follower of Christ, please do not come receive communion this morning. That is not because we're better than you or no more than you. It's because we follow Jesus and we want you to follow Jesus. If you came to the table, you would be getting it all out of order. If you wanna know more about following Jesus, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna stand right in the back there. And when people are taking communion, if you wanna come back and talk with me about Jesus, I'd love to have that conversation with you. You may just want to come in line and you may just want to hold a fist as you walk through just to kind of see, hey, what is everybody doing here? What is the meaning of this? But we are looking back at the cross and we're saying, thank you for the good work you did. Thank you for saving us. And thank you that you were returned for us. We're going to have five men across the front here. We're going to have one standing in the back foyer there.
and you will come forward to receive communion. If, if you have children that do not follow Jesus, they're welcome to walk with you up here and watch you take communion. And you can pull them off to the side and explain to them today why you took communion. What a great opportunity to teach them the gospel. But let me ask you this. What is your functional savior? And whatever it is, understand this, that freedom begins in Christ, freedom continues in Christ, freedom remains in Christ. Do you believe these things today? I hope you do. And I hope that you would go out in freedom today and rejoice in all that Christ has done. So let us ask God's blessings on this bread that we are about to partake of in this cup in which we will dip into so that when you come up here, there are no hindrances, there's nothing else on your mind but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his return. Oh, may it minister to you today. May you be even more grateful for what Christ has done as you leave this place today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for this bread. We thank you for this cup and what it symbolizes. We remember what Christ has done and we rejoice in what Christ is coming to do to receive us to himself and there we will reign with him for all of eternity. Thank you that his body was beaten and his blood poured out. He is the only savior. No other savior will function to save us from our sins. So we look to Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.